Welcome to the Doctor Patient Forum, a no holds barred patient advocacy podcast discussing why millions of pain patients continue to suffer, but most importantly, who caused the suffering. Join us weekly as we discuss how you can help end the untreated pain crisis. When I asked you to go ask, I'm telling you that you lie to me and so you don't want to go there with no, me. you know what, I, I don't get into this. I don't get into this with my kids. I don't get into this type of stuff. You are refusing me my medication. You know, I'm going by what safe parameters I feel and what my doctor has talked to me about. Your doctor, or your, what your doctor has talked to me about. Okay, if they're... If their opinion, if Susan's opinion, Alicia's opinion, did not matter what they said, why go to them in the first place? I showed you. You the... told me to, to go ask. Them. But if that, but if, but if you knew that, if you didn't feel like it mattered anyways, why would you go to them? Because they both. Are you gonna take that? They both said exactly what I said they would say. No, Alicia you said, said she hasn't worked with you in the last And you said Susan weeks. only gave that to pacify me, but now you, when I called you out on your lie, you said that. I won't do this. Because you have no answer for your lie. No, I don't need to lie. I don't feel comfortable giving you that. You just said you didn't feel comfortable giving it to you because I don't know the medicine. I don't know how it works. Tell someone to take it over. So so you know what? So I went above and talked to the doctor and to the pharmacist. The doctor does not know me either. So So you're saying you didn't say pacify, that she tried to pacify? Yep. What you just heard is an actual recording of an interaction of a patient with her nurse who was refusing to give her her home meds. Stay tuned for this episode of our podcast as we speak to this patient's mother, Beth. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Dr. Patient Forum Podcast. Don't forget, if you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a five-star review. You know, something that's not discussed all that much is, what do we do when a child is suffering? And the more I learn about despicable people like Dr. Chad Brummett, who promotes very little pain relief after surgeries, the more incensed I become. And we're so fortunate to have a mom join us today whose children struggled with a rare disease. They're now young adults. And don't forget, you can follow this lovely lady. Her name is Beth Larson Stackler. Don't forget to follow her on Twitter. And she's the co-founder of the organization, the National Childhood Pancreatitis Foundation. Welcome to the Doctor Patient Forum podcast, Beth. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your work also. Of course. And and Bev, uh, you've been communicating with Bev. Bev called me one day and said, oh my gosh, Claudia, you've, you've got to know what's happening to children who are being denied 
adequate pain relief. Beth, is this something that you've encountered along in your advocacy? Absolutely. Um, I experienced it with my children who have PRSS1, hereditary pancreatitis. As you indicated, I um, was a co-founder of our organizations. And so I hear a lot from other parents whose children are going through the same disease or have the same disease, as well as other parents have reached out to me in regards to when they've learned about me and expressed how they have not been able to get adequate pain relief. I think about a year ago, there was a mom who sent me a video of her daughter about 10 months old who had a flare, a pancreatitis flare, which is extremely painful. And she was left to cry in the hospital and her mother didn't know what to do. It was um, agonizing watching that video. And we get repeated calls about this in regards to the inability to manage a child's pain. In one episode, one situation, parents called me, I could hear their, their child screaming in the background and they had indicated their child had come in with a flare and what their child had been offered was essential oils, lavender essential oils for a child in a pancreatic flare. Oh, my God. You know, I, I have an attorney that's contacted me with pancreatitis. They called the police on him in the emergency room. He spent the night in jail because because his, his pancreatitis is so severe. And this poor man went to every emergency room. And people with pancreatitis, they create these these judgments. Well, there's just judgment anyway with pain. But to deny a baby pain relief seems very like only a sick, twisted individual would enjoy watching a baby suffer. Did did you experience this with your children? Initially, no. When my children were diagnosed, they were diagnosed after my husband was diagnosed. We found an amazing pediatric doctor. You know, I think it's phenomenal because I live in a very small state. But when I um, encountered her, I encountered him, I asked, do you know about pancreatitis? Because my husband was treated so poorly um, initially, and he knew about hereditary pancreatitis, and he was phenomenal. He actually had a plan of care for us to keep our children home when they were in flares. So we had a protocol, we had pain meds, so we could keep them out of the hospital. And he had a protocol in place at the emergency room. So when we took our children in, that they would be admitted immediately. He also indicated, because sometimes how they try to test for pancreatitis, it's the elevation of the amylase and lipase. But oftentimes, this is not an indicator. And so a lot of doctors are misinformed. So for example, when your friend went into the ER, they probably did a lab draw. They did. And if they, and yeah. if they did not see any elevation, then they oftentimes suspect him of being a quote-unquote drug seeker, which again <laughs> is so horrible because I've been dealing with this for the last 10 years and that's inaccurate. Amylase and lipase do not have to rise in an attack, but yet still doctors believe that, believe it's an indicator. And so if they did a lab and there was nothing, they would not treat or believe. So unfortunately he left um, when my daughter was 16 because of the issues with healthcare and his inability felt to properly care for his patients. And after that, it went downhill. Also because my children had a auto islet transplant, total pendectomy. It is not a cure for PRSS1. The focus is on reduction of um, pain and reduction on the likelihood of pancreas cancer. My children had a 75% chance of pancreas cancer. Oh my gosh. However, 
after removing the spleen, the pancreas, um, half the stomach, some other organs, they had complications. Um, Did they, they had... have Whipple procedures? My daughter actually had a Whipple procedure um, when she was in first grade. And oh. she actually had a year, an amazing year of staying out of the hospital, of being able to enjoy food and be pain-free. It was amazing. However, we thought we would have 10 years and that she would be old enough to kind of look at options herself and decide. But the pancreatitis, the flares came back. And so she had the auto islet total appendectomy, which is the full removal of the pancreas and harvesting of the islets. And she never really experienced any relief from the pain. And initially they told me, well, ignore her pain behaviors. It's just because her um, father has been recently diagnosed with pancreas cancer. And for a year, I, I listened to that. And um, I really regret it because my daughter would just scream and say, please help me. They and said to ignore pain behaviors? Oh, my they, gosh. Because, of course, it was because something was stressful in her life. So that has to be why she's complaining of pain. So and then she would also throw up and it would be green. And she was on medication for bile. And I remember bringing her to our local hospital and just telling our pediatrician, I, there's something wrong. I know there's something wrong. And he hospitalized her and they were pulling out bile. They put an NG tube and they couldn't get rid of the bile. And my doctor called the university that specializes in this and, and was explaining. And again, I respect this university. And yes, this was an error. There's a lot of good doctors there, but they had said, again, they reinforced that it was psychological. Beth, what state are you located in? Um, I'm located in North Dakota. Okay. You know, I don't hear much about pain patients in North Dakota. And we do have a Facebook page called North Dakota, the doctor patient form. I remember thinking at one point, the Dakotas were immune from the attack on the pain patient. But it sounds like your kids have been put through the ringer. I can't imagine anything worse than a mom watching her children suffer. Tell me about your children today. How are they doing and have they been able to get pain relief? We have actually a pain physician who is wonderful. However, in 2017, the hospital, which is a mon monopoly here, removed all patients, chronic pain patients from opioids, all at the same time. What? It, which in, yep, which included my son. We had just been to the physician who I had absolute respect for. I was concerned about what was coming down the pike line because um, I was watching what was happening throughout all the other states. However, I had hoped because some of the philosophies in North Dakota that that would not um, happen, that physicians would not feel pressured to unilaterally treat. However, what happened in the hospital was um, I had seen the physician two weeks prior. He had spoke to my son for a long time. He was very good to my son. He had talked about um, the pressures coming down on him in North Dakota and that people were wanting um, opioids removed as a treatment option. He assured my son that that would not happen to him, that he knew he needed opioids, that we had tried other treatment options and that they were not helpful for my son. So we walked out feeling, okay, we're going to be okay. When I called for a refill, I was told at that point that we needed to titrate my son to remove him from all opioids. I started getting calls that all individuals from this hot, our clinic were told that they were being removed from op 
opioids. I also have the letter they sent me because I called the hospital administration and the person that I got indicated that it was not their decision that it was a national standard and they were following a national standard. I asked, what is a national standard? This person speaking to me could not indicate what the national standard was. And I said, are you saying the CDC guidelines, opioid guidelines? And she said, yes, that's what they are. I informed her that they were not national standards and that they were not for pain physicians, but primary physicians, and that my son was also at that time a pediatric patient. She actually discontinued the call because she said that um, I was very mad. I was absolutely mad. This was impacting my son. He was scared. He was fearful. I was angry, but I did not call her names. I did not insult her. I wanted to know why this decision was occurring. I asked questions in regards to the national standard, indicating it was not a national standard. I asked how they could say that it was individualized care when every patient was being cut from opioids. The letter they sent to me afterwards stated that our physician or his physician had discussed at length with him, which was incorrect. And also they talked about other treatment options. What they did was list that a psychologist would also be joining the clinic. And this hospital system, was your pain doctor under this hospital system? Yes. And so the name of the hospital system what's your what's your monopoly in north dakota sanford okay. sanford hospital sanford clinic yeah 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 I and, know. and i believe that i was the only one that received a referral mm-hmm. because um i was aware of other advocates in the community and people reached out to me and told me in regards to the steps to take and so my son did get to get a referral to a physician who picked up some of the abandoned patients. Not Mm -hmm. all were covered, but fortunately my son was. But I get calls from other people who, for example, had to return to live with their parents. Some have moved out of state. I know that there were suicide attempts and it just felt, felt like no one was listening. Our governor of the state, his wife, is a very big proponent of less stigma for those with SUD, which I think in North Dakota we need. We need better supports and services. However, what has happened because of that is more stigmatization for those in pain. And right now my daughter is truly treated poorly at the system because she has been designated by Sanford as a drug seeker. Even though time after time, it's been proved that she is not, She has type 3 diabetes, which is very brittle, very brittle. So, for example, when you have a low blood sugar, you eat food, right, to raise the blood sugar. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't necessarily happen with her because of her GI system and malabsorption. Sure. So so she had had a Whipple procedure, for Christ's sakes. Exactly. And and most people with Whipple procedures can't even thrive throughout their life. Yep. And and the fact that these, these psychopaths, these are psychopaths that, that, that do this shit to people like your children. And I got to tell you, I'm a mom to a 17-year-old and a 21-year-old. I've learned throughout my advocacy just to stay calm. Because if you don't, you're going to look like a fucking crazy person to the rest of the world, right? But it but, do, does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it doesn't matter because as calm as I am. Yeah, in the right. records, they have put that I'm aggressive. In fact, yeah. I just went to another hospital system, a very renowned hospital system, 
and they were surprised at how who not do- enmeshed but I was. This is what I want to know, Beth. Who documented you as being hostile? I don't know because it was also documented, and it and I have the Facebook exchange that happened three years ago. Because three years ago, the hospital security descended in my daughter's room, and a PA doctor and a hospitalist, and took all her belongings away from her because she had dropped. Her blood sugar had dropped and they had said that she was injecting herself with insulin to um, create a. I hear that all the I've heard this before. This is common. So they're they're actually accusing the patient of self-harming so they can get opiates. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So anyway, she was on the phone crying. She, you know, she has been a difficult patient in the past because of that harm, because people haven't believed her, you know, and she'll even say that. But this, I mean, this is what happens. She's put in these situations. And so they locked me out of the hospital. I had told the doctor on the phone, on the phone, please stand down. He's calling her an addict saying he knows why she's there. We have security in the room. They're saying they're the security are telling her that she injected herself. They know that because that's not how diabetes works. Now I have a specialist note in um, her records stating that, that this happens, but they still ignore it. In fact, our last episode here was just before the holidays and she had gone in a lot because she had experienced sepsis. She had experienced um, cellulitis and staph. And right before she was going to be discharged, her blood sugar fell. And so they came in and pulled all her stuff. And she had a cutter in there. Of course, she has a cutter. She's on many meds. She had her insulin in there. And so they said that she was, again, injecting insulin. And her labs were horrible. I went up there. And I said, again, have you saw our specialist notes? This happens. And they're and. They said, no, she's injecting herself and she's a druggie. The security guard is yelling in the hall. So in the room, I had called a house manager and I had also, um, they were trying to get her blood sugar up and having her eat carbs and giving her juice. So her, her blood sugar is up over 100, right? And this doctor and the security guard in the hall are telling me she's injecting herself. She's being watched. And all of a sudden she's like, I don't feel good. She is down below 90. Oh my gosh. So right there, they're witnessing this episode, but denying it. Did you consult with a malpractice attorney about this? I, I, I have tried within the state of North Dakota, but they will not do that. I did reach out to the Office of Civil Rights. They did an investigation in their letter. They indicated that this is a quality of care issue and encouraged me to reach out to someone that focuses on that. But again, this like is a the mon- joint, like the joint commission, maybe I, I have been writing to the joint commission. Um, I have written to our Department of Health and Human Services. But again, you know, I have you take a look at Sanford and the setting within North Dakota, South Dakota, that it is pretty much in a monopoly. So patients um, do not have a voice. So she had to go back in after this and she was scared. She didn't want to. But they denied her a visit from her pastor. They also would not let her get off the bed unless a nurse was there. She has a GI issue. And again, this makes me sound crazy. It makes her sound crazy. And so I think that they believe we won't talk about it, but I'm done. What hospital? What hospital did this happen at? It was Sanford Hospital. It's Um, Sanford Hospital. Yeah. Yeah. 
Sanford Hospital. And it's not just people think, oh, well, it's bad that they think you're a drug seeker. That's not what's just happening. It's not just that people think you're drug seeking. If you have a chronic illness with pain, you're listed as a malingerer having a somatic issue, Munchausen's. Like these are all very dangerous things to have in your record. Because then anytime you ever go to a hospital in an emergency, they're going to assume you're faking, you did it to yourself to get drugs and you're treated like, like a criminal. It's disgusting. And I will tell you, my daughter was it seven months ago or she almost died because of it. Her doctor referred her over to the hospital because she was bleeding. She went and she sat. I was working and she had been bleeding. I was concerned. She has GI bleeds. And again, she has T3 diabetes. And she called me and she said, Mom, I'm not doing well. I need to get juice. And I said, you can't leave the ER or you'll be out of queue. You need to go ask for juice. And she's like, I'm scared. But she went up there and she asked the person at the desk. The person at the desk started yelling at her, saying that she would not, I mean, get in faster and to go sit down and that she was, you know, they'd call her when it was her time. And Ellie's like, no, I need juice. I'm, I'm going low. So then she went back and sat down. She called me crying, saying that she was going to leave and get juice. And I said, no, please go up. You need to be seen. You're bleeding. I know I've seen the blood come out of you. This is dangerous. Um, she did go up and a nurse brought out a tiny cup. Again, she does not get stabilized easily. I mean, I've been up at night with her when she's had lows and we've had to have multiple juice um, before she can get up. It didn't work. She was scared to go back to the desk and ask. So she went down to the cafeteria and thank God a cafeteria worker intervened and got her juice because she was not in a good place. She was in a very dangerous place. She was out of queue at that time. She called me, begging me to come get her. I was concerned she would not go back. I said, okay, in a couple hours, can we go back in the morning? When I brought her back, there was one person in the ER waiting room. And I had overheard what she was in there for. She was in there for a rash. Then another patient came in and he was talking loudly and he was in there for a toothache. My daughter is white. We've said that she has bleeding. She's been in here twice. They ignored her the day before. Well, they call the woman with a rash. Then they call the person with a toothache. I went up to the desk and I said, can I ask why my daughter has not been called? In a very condescending way, she said, well, we have a priority list. And I said, you know, I usually don't do this because I do know that there is a crisis with medical professionals. They have a lot on their plate. I get it. I understand. I respect that. But when I know that a person with a rash and a toothache has been called in prior to someone bleeding out, obviously there's some biases there. And when I said that to her, she's like, well, I don't make the decisions. I'm like, I would like to speak to the person who does. And then she was finally called back by a nurse. And I asked the nurse and said, is, is this a biased situation? Because this is what I'm, I'm seeing. She got mad at me and she said, we just had someone die back there. And I apologize because I understand that, that they have tough working conditions. However, that does not mean that you get to jeopardize my daughter's life and call in someone with a rash first and a toothache. She was taking my daughter's vitals and all of a sudden she's calling people and she's telling me that my daughter needs to get back to her room. My daughter's hemoglobin was four. And this is all I'm looking at their website because this sounds like, you know, I want I, I wish I could say Sanford Health or Sanford Hospital. I'm, I wish I could say that they were different. But this seems to be par for the course with people with chronic illnesses. They are just left for dead. Yeah. 
in the emergency department and nobody gives a shit about people with chronic illnesses. Let's shift gears for for a minute because what my lovely colleague did to me last night right before I went to bed, she sent me all this shit about (laughs) Dr. Chad Brummett, right? Now, this is is what Bev does to me. So, (laughs) Beth, just so you know, Bev and I go to bed fairly early. Our day starts at 3.30 in the morning. So, Bev sends me all this information about this Chad Brummett, and I'm getting enraged. So, I go on a Twitter rampage. Let's talk about Dr. Chad Brummett. He's with the University of Michigan, and he's speaking out against treating pediatric patients with post-op opioids. Are you familiar with this man? Yeah, I had just um, looked at some of his information and some of the information related to open. I can tell you one of the things that really, again, concerned me. He had indicated five milligram pain tablets, zero to 10, for a pancreatomy. Michigan... (laughs) Michigan is not one of the top places where a pancreatectomy is done. When I went through the supporting data, it came from Michigan and then some other um, individuals. I never once saw any data coming out of the top two universities that deal with this. And so I can only speak to that, but that is highly concerning to me. Um, I know that I did email um, some of our physicians in regards to it and um, I'm waiting to hear back from them because that to me that's brutal that well, is it's, it's cruel it's what it is it's cruel and Chad Brummett this is a healthy young man right these yeah. are he- these are healthy narcissists who make Look, these decisions I mean and he's funded I think Mich- I think Michigan Open is funded partly by NIH but I know they're funded partly by Blue Cross Blue Shield they're also the ones who came up with the lovely idea that Blue Cross Blue Shield Michigan should reimburse more to a doctor if they don't prescribe opioids for certain surgeries for post-op, then they get more money back. And they they had come out with these post-op pills for adults. And then this pediatric one was just released this last week. I sent it to Beth too. My state recently came out promoting it. Like they adopted not the pediatric one yet, I don't think, but the adult one. And let me tell you something, Claudia, some of these surgeries are so ridiculous, like full colectomy, zero to 10 pills, like bowel resection, zero to 10, five milligram pills. And they said, oh, it's based on the fact that 70% of people have medication left after their surgery. Well, good. Let them have it. Let them have it. What does it bother you as long as they lock it up? Instead of doing this, give everyone a safe. Tell right. them to stop their medication. Exactly. Yeah. And and you know what? If if this Michigan Open or whatever whoever they are, if these were people who were doing this out of the goodness of their heart, that would be one thing. But these people are funded. Yeah. I mean, and here's that, my con- go ahead. I'm sorry. Here, no, I'm sorry. Here's my concern. When you look at that, there's no nuance. Right. There is no understanding of the individual patient there is that's right th- that I could find and and that concerns me I yeah. mean my son my husband and my daughter all had PRSS1 and so they have the same disease but they have individualized needs and when you look at this information it's not nuanced and it's so concerning that it's not nuanced it's it's just a blanket statement right throw everybody in the same laundry basket that's what it is and they call it precision medicine you know they talk about individualized care which would be amazing but then they talk about precision medicine which means if you have this this is what you will get this is what you need and the part that bothers me the most when you read these studies they make it sound like we'll give you 10 pills if you need more call and you'll get it but that's not what 
happens. Right. People need more medication. They call their surgeon. They're gaslit. They're talked to like they're criminals. They're talked to like they're faking. They're told there must be doing something wrong. You're not practicing mindfulness enough or whatever it is. So they go to the hospital and then what? They'll have you. And then for these children, see, if a mom can't get, I, I know that if my mom, when I yep. was at my sickest, she couldn't, we couldn't manage my pain at home and right. I would get admitted to the right. hospital. And think about if the child was treated correctly with opioids That's and we, what we have to do folks is we've got to take the ugliness away from the word opioids. But remember Eight out of 10 Americans are media victims. They've been duped into believing opioids do not serve a medical purpose. And anybody who takes an opiate is a drug addict. Right. Well, I want to tell you, so this is what we do all day long, right? And my daughter, who was 14 at the time, it was this past November, she had a kidney stone. First kidney stone she's ever had. We got, um, I, like, I thought that's what she had based on how she was acting. And the doctor sent us to the emergency room and the nurse is just like, no, there's no way that's what she has. There's no way it's a kidney stone. And they wouldn't give her anything. And I mean anything. We're not, yeah. talk- not even talking about an opioid. I'm talking about they didn't even start an IV. They didn't give her fluids. They didn't give her anything, not even Tylenol. So then she's like dry heaving. She's so sick. And they come back and the doctor comes back in and he's like, oh my gosh, she has a kidney stone and hydronephrosis. And I'm like, can you give her some medicine? I mean, they, they brought in a heating pad to put on her back. And then they gave her oral Tylenol. And then eventually they gave her a shot of Toradol, which wasn't even opioids. And it helped. She didn't need them. But that's the thing. They make it sound like everyone's drug seeking. We're just seeking pain relief. Most men are brought to their knees with a kidney stone. And here's my 14-year-old kid. They bring in oral Tylenol and a heating pad. Because she's a child and she's a girl, which makes it even worse. And I know how to advocate and I couldn't get them to do anything for her. It's a very, very horrible place to be as a parent or as a wife to watch your loved one suffer and know, know that there's something wrong and have another person in authority dismiss you. Or withhold withhold the medicine. So that because that's what's happening in these emergency rooms. They are they are withholding what the patient needs. And this is why we need to make it an actionable offense for any physician who withholds because that's the only that's what they're doing. They are withholding. And I want people like let that resonate. You are withholding what somebody needs in a clinical setting. And And that has to stop. And like Beth, you knew you learned how to advocate for your children and you were hands on. But what about the kids who their parents don't know how and they just trust the doctor blindly like people used to and they just are like, okay, my kid doesn't need medicine. I mean, you know, I think I sent this to you too, um, Beth, I'm not sure that um, Drug Free New Jersey, Partnership for Drug Free New Jersey, who I can't stand, they've partnered with Kaladni and Chris Christie and all these anti-opioid people, but they sent out an email uh, last week or the week before to parents and they're like, look, if your kids are getting opioids, you need to question those doctors and they shouldn't need to get opioids. And if your if your kids are getting opioids for the following conditions, these are the questions to ask. And one of the conditions they listed was sickle cell disease. So they're literally going against uh, guidelines, teaching parents to question a doctor. And with like Claudia said, you're going to withhold medication from these children. Beth, are you so your children? This is what I want to know. When when children go through the medical system like this, and they're repeatedly treated horribly, 
does do your kids have PTSD? Do they have definitely? Yeah, yes, they do. And this this is what I want to speak to very much. So what we are doing is costing not only our children, but the system needs to understand we're also causing more damage and causing more cost to the system. Because what happens, and, and it speaks to when I asked the question to the NIH, and there was applause all over and families coming up to me and saying, you know, we experienced that I have this rare disease and pain and I'm not able to access anything and I'm left suffering. And what my children experienced, I heard it from other people, is this vicious cycle where you're dismissed, you're told you're lying, you're told it's psychological. And then when something, you know, is visibly wrong, there's no apology. Right. There's no healing and saying, I'm sorry. Um, it's just denial, fix it denial in this vicious cycle. And my son and my daughter, my son still refuses to go to the hospital or clinic. So we're in the situation that I worry about his health, but he's been so traumatized. And, and that's what my daughter went through too. It was medical trauma. And I sat down with the hospital and begged I begged to say, can we have a trauma-informed plan? Let's be on the same page. They have refused to talk to us or her therapist to put a plan in place. They just term it, like you said, as drug-seeking, as borderline, as all these things that will lead to a vicious cycle and more harm. Oh, my gosh. It's on. It's nuts. And then the thing is, when we do have, like it used to be, if they couldn't find a physical reason, then they would treat you like that. But if there was a physical reason they could find, then they would treat you better. And now it's just become, it doesn't matter. Like you said, there's never an apology. And then, you know, you're called combative, right? They'll say, oh, well, you are combative. But all you, it, you can't even advocate for yourself now without being called combative. You have to play this game where you can't be too harsh and you can't be too calm and you can't cry and you can't not cry. You can't be dry. It's just, it's, it's not fair. And we shouldn't have to play a game. If you're sick enough to go to the hospital, if your children are sick, they should be allowed to act the way they do. And I don't do I act the way they feel. And I don't understand how this country thinks it's removing stigma from people who use drugs while this is happening. It's like, they'll just con continue to ignore what's happening. And it's getting worse. Like, I don't see it getting better. But did you say you said there was a death in the pediatric community recently? Um, there has been deaths. There was um, a young woman who turned 18 every time she and she had PRSS1. And every time she went into the hospital, they, you know, treated it as psychological. They ignored her pain. And so when she turned 18, she moved out and she was having a uh, pancreatitis ep episode and she medicated herself and died because of that happens all the time these yep. young adults and i always tell these doctors you know i met with the rhode island department of health and one of the people that serves them is a pediatrician i said if you're not willing to treat these kids snapchat will because that's what these young teens are doing right the really sick kids can't get pain relief and their friends are like listen i can get you some some pain pills yeah let's go on snapchat when the physicians want to say my kids are not hurting I mean, my son, he hurts. And then because his, his teeth are falling out because of malabsorption, right? And so he gets abscesses. He goes to work with his face swollen up. Don't tell me he's not in pain. Most adults would be in bed, you know, with ice or heat on. And this kid is going 
to work. I think I have to do, you know, this whole thing with my daughter. So the first time it happened several years ago, um, she wrote on Facebook what was happening to her, right? And one of her friends said, do I need to come up there and take care of them? So this last episode, just, you know, right before Christmas, the security guard had accused her of threatening harm to the security guards. And I'm like, what? Give me evidence of this. So he pulls up this old post. Okay. She has, she says nothing about harming them. She explains what's going on. Her friend said something to the fact, I'll come up and handle it. She didn't like it or anything, but they pull this out and say that she's threatening death or harm to the security guard. The security guards in the middle of the hallway yelling that she's a drug addict and that she's injecting herself. And this is allowed. This was allowed. And what what doesn't make sense at all is that if someone has addiction, if someone does have issues with addiction and they have acute pain issues, if they have severe pain with a physical cause, they're supposed to treat their pain anyway. Absolutely. So, So why does it matter if you think they're, if you think this person has issues with addiction, treat their pain, and then talk to them about what you think their issues are. But to embarrass them and scream and, you know, Claudia, that that Brittany Hightower, that sickle cell illness, that girl who recently passed away, this is similar to what happened to her. Like she went into a hospital. It was a monopoly that, that her insurance had all of these hospitals. So she was talking to someone and she was like, I don't know if I like this doctor. I think I might leave this doctor. And a nurse heard and reported it and she was dismissed saying she wasn't happy with her care. And then she was blacklisted to every single place because it was a monopoly. And that's partly what led to her death. Absolutely. I I will give you all the documents because my daughter, and and again, I was trying to be protective. Our state is small. But when she almost died because her hemoglobin was at four, I'm like, Ellie, we need to speak out. And if I need to speak out, we need to be open about your experiences. And she said, okay, yeah, because she was being harmed, you know, and to not listen to her therapist the four years to take, you know, a person who sees her for one time in within this monopoly and to not sit down, it's horrible care. It's, it's doing more trauma than good. And I do worry that she will die. And when I sought out help from the state, um, one state employee said, and she retracted it quite fast, is that, well, boy, if she dies, you you have a case, don't you? Oh, my God. And and that's that's what we have to wait for. We have to wait for people to die before they have a voice. That, that's what this boils down to. Yep. Hey, Beth, can I ask you, because I know the listeners are going to have this question, how many children have you advocated for? Oh, my goodness. See, and I have not kept track. Um, we have our organization has been going for um, 10 years. I did mental health advocacy before. And so I was familiar, familiar with it. And so I think once my husband and kids started getting sick, people would come and ask questions. So I have no count. I just know that I regularly speak to parents, not only parents, but adults in the pancreas community, and then other people with rare disease. And now even people have called me from my state and outside my state with not chronic issues, but issues, I mean, acute pain. 
Um, and also doctors just not believing their symptoms, not even in reference to pain, but other symptoms and what to do and how to navigate the system and how to advocate for yourself. Well, I have a funny feeling after we publish this podcast, uh, North Dakota is going to start to reach out to you. How can people reach out to you? What's the best way is my first question. And the second question is, how can people help your organization? Are you a nonprofit? Can they donate? We are just in the... Um, we're kind of revamping everything because a lot of us, us were sick. So yes, they can donate. The best way to reach me is really through Twitter right now. So what I think you folks need to do in North Dakota, I think step one is creating, and I've said this many times, an external review committee to review what's happening to children in the hospital setting. So not only the children's hospital, in, in this whole Stanford system, how poorly are people being treated is, that's what we need to find out. Oh. And, and that's why you need, I, I like the idea of the external review committee to police what's happening in these horrible institutions and and getting, you know, some type of legislation to make it an actionable offense to withhold pain relief from a child who's suffering because lawmakers are more apt to help children than they are to help adults. Uh, Go ahead, Pat. And I have, you know, really spoken out um, lately. Um, Sanford is large. I used to work in the state. So you are really encouraged not to speak out about issues. And about a year ago, I just kind of threw down the gauntlet because they're not speaking to me. They're not having us at the table. Wait, why, and why can't you speak out against issues? What do you mean? Within the state? Oh, it's, it's, it's not encouraged at all. You can't um, have a voice? You're blackballed a lot of times. And again, I'd like to be respectful to everyone. But when you don't have someone at the table and are harming them, but you don't give them the voice. For example, we have 46 million coming in from, from North Dakota from the opioid settlement. There is no one in the chronic pain community that has had a voice. We've had Dr. Drew come in three years and I've called and said, you know, you're not only hurting people with SUD, but those in the chronic pain, because now those with chronic pain are stigmatized against. We are seen as having addiction and it's horrible. Our our voices are not heard. Sanford, um, again, the patient representative won't get back to my daughter or myself. Because, you know, I think we are stigmatized as having addiction, which would be okay if for those who have addiction, but that is worse. It's even worse than that, though. It's like right now, the most hated group are the people in chronic pain who are saying, no, I don't have this illness. And then we get in trouble for stigmatizing addiction by saying, no, I'm not addicted. And that's not what we mean. But you hate, like, we are hated because we refuse to admit that we aren't taking these drugs for physical pain. And that's just not what's happening. And if those who do this crossover, right, for those who do develop addiction, they deserve to have their addiction treated and their pain treated. I mean, and I think with these settlement funds, I do think it's worth it for every state for the advocates to look to see if we can get some of this money for overdose prevention, because the number of people who self-treat by going to the street because they cannot find pain relief or get it off of Snapchat, really, it is overdose prevention to treat pain. I mean, it just- Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I'm looking uh, at North Dakota. They've got a pretty large indigenous population. And I've only advocated for three people. That's actually a, a, a big number for me with North Dakota. Can I just say that the indigenous people are treated like dogs with uh-huh. their pain? 
I mean, oh, they're, they're treated so, so, so horribly. Uh, and, and, and talk about a community that doesn't have a voice. Yeah. They, they, they have zero voice. And that, so, that has to change. So interestingly enough, I was actually impressed a bit with Sanford because they did hire an individual that was well-respected within the community to be a liaison to the reservations. However, they let him go after only a year. We're going to take a really quick break to give a shout out to all of our new patrons who signed onto DPF's Patreon page. And then Claudia and I will just give you a really brief explanation of what Patreon is. We are so grateful to all of our patrons that have subscribed to our DPF Patreon page. We're just going to do a quick shout out to the new patrons that have signed up since our last podcast. So here goes. Lorena, Alicia, Roxanne, Anthony, Teresa, Julie, Cammie, Cynthia, Sherry, Rebecca, Jennifer, Shri SR, Michael, Alona, Linda, Kelly, Diane, Valerie, Kimberly, L, Lauren, BJ, Melanie, Heather, William, Lee, Angela, Sarah, Joey, Leah, Lynn, Katie, Jana, Deborah, Tamil, Barbie, Dawn, Rachel, Monty, Irene, Jana, Betty, Dorothy, Lori, Deb, Mark, Ignacio, Tony, Shannon, Can, Brenda, Joan, Kimberly, Lisa, Kelly, KNS, Steve, Andrea, Margaret, Robin, Sherry, Kathy, and Kat, Katie. If we miss your name, please let me know and I'll be happy to add it to our next podcast. We are truly so humbled by all of your support and so grateful and we hope that you are enjoying our Patreon page. We are so stoked about launching this Patreon subscription page. The messages have been so encouraging from people, but what is Patreon? Bev and I have dedicated the past six years of our lives to bringing awareness to the untreated pain crisis. We do this by organizing rallies. Bev has invested thousands and thousands of hours in research. In my opinion, it's really important to bring awareness to the people who are suffering, but more importantly, the people who have caused the suffering. And I think Patreon is the perfect platform. But what is Patreon? This is a subscription. Really important for you folks to know, though, you're not losing anything. Some people maybe don't want to sign on to Patreon, and that's fine. You're still going to be able to access all of our free resources on our website, thedoctorpatientforum.com, plus all of our Facebook pages, and most importantly, the amazing podcast, The Doctor Patient Forum Podcast. Bev, can you explain to people what they're going to be receiving with the three different categories that are being offered on Patreon. Sure. We have a three tiers, $5 DPF supporter, $15 a month DPF advocate, and $30 a month DPF warrior. We know people have been asking about that coaching call. They get four coaching calls in a 12-month period for DPF warrior. That's the only tier that has a coaching call, but all of the tiers get an extra video podcast at least one per month. There'll probably be more than one. In the higher tiers, they get before and after 
when we're talking to guests, some of the most fun discussion is before or after the actual podcast. So that will be in the higher tiers. But this $5 tier, they still get a lot. I'm going to be posting mostly daily. I might skip a day here and there, but mostly daily, I will be posting every important article and study and event that happens. So nobody will have to miss that again. And every month, I'm going to be keeping a running log of everything important. And I will post those monthly blogs with all the links so people won't miss it because you know what happens on our Facebook page, Claudia, is that I post it and then people lose it. It just people scroll on by because you don't see it anymore. Right. It gets buried. And the reason this DPF supporter, this is actually one of my favorite categories because if you don't know what's happening in your state, Beth is going to be posting it on the supporter tier. So if there's legislation, if there is a hearing coming up in your neck of the woods, if there's a meet and greet coming up in your neck of the woods, if there's a rally, a support group, that's all going to be listed on the DPF supporter category. Now, the reason reason the DPF warrior category is so, so important for so many people is because we receive hundreds of messages on a monthly basis of people wanting to connect with us, to get on the yes. phone and to advocate. And we would need an army of people to advocate. And while hopefully in the future, we will be able to really spend more than just 30 minutes with people. But for the time being, the DPF warrior category, we're going to get on the phone with you for 30 minutes. And we're going to coach you what you need help with getting this. Maybe you need help gathering information for your next doctor's appointment, or maybe you're looking to, uh, some of, some of you folks may or may not know I'm a fitness competitor. I get on stage once a year. I compete, I bring awareness to the untreated pain crisis. Maybe you just want some fit tips, or maybe you want to learn more about these government paid experts. And that, that's why that DPF warrior category is so, so important. And Bev, what do you like the best about the DPF advocate category? I think my favorite part of this advocate category is the fact that they can message us their questions. So as you were talking about, we get messaged on every single social media platform, plus our cell phones, text messaging and emails and phone calls. And it's hundreds per week from each of us, for each of us. And there's no way for us, we try so hard to stay on top of it, but there's just no way to answer all of these questions. So in the advocate tier, every month, they'll be able to message us their questions throughout the month on Patreon. And then at the beginning of the next month, Claudia and I are going to be recording a question and answer session where we will be answering every one of your questions as long as time allows right there on the recording. And then we'll post it and you can watch it. So I'm excited about that because right now I feel so bad. I don't have time. I just can't answer everyone's questions. It's it's too much, you know, And, and we'll still like you said, we still get the podcast, the websites, all of that is still there. But this is more one-on-one. They could connect with us. This is a way that we could organize interacting with all of the members that, that make all of this possible anyway. And most importantly, it's a great way to raise money. So we can yeah. pay for certain things that we need. And you know, right now I don't have a scanner. We don't have software. And this Patreon no. subscription page, this is the best way to not only help people, but to help people while raising money and making it affordable for everybody. And the DPF supporter, the DPF advocate, and the DPF warrior, there's something there for everyone. So take a look yep. around for welcome. We look forward to seeing you all. You keep fighting and we'll do the same. Thank you. Our Patreon page link is patreon.com slash the doctor patient forum. It's also listed in the show notes. Hope to see you over there. 
Yeah, and, and that and that that you know that's not surprising. I think if you don't fit into the box, you're eliminated. But I do believe that one day pain patients will be entitled to reparations because the government has targeted this one community. They have Absolutely. withheld the medication, right? They not only have they targeted, but they've gone they've gone above and beyond to harm however many million people there are with pain. And and I'm just glad that, you know, the pain community has an advocate like yourself, Beth. And I'm so sorry that the system has wronged your children. I'm so sorry that the system continues to wrong people. And I don't believe any hospital is safe for people. I'm glad that your children have you as an advocate, because I'll tell you what, I, I will never leave a loved one alone in a hospital. Never. So, well, so and I've been locked out, you know, but I will say, yes, I mean, it, it, it's amazing that they get away with this. I, I just, I will not be quiet. And Claudia, you indicated how, how can people get a hold of me? They already are. People have shared and reached out to me because I have spoken out. They have shared their um, Office of Civil Rights complaints. They have shared their stories. And so we are mobilizing more and more. They are talking and saying okay, this happened to me and this happened to me. And I said, maybe we're one voice, but together we are many. And so the more we speak out, the more collectively we can gather together and our voices are louder to make a change because it's frightening when people contact me when I share on Facebook that this has happened and all of a sudden they're reaching out and saying this happened to me also. Yeah, I I just, I want to end this podcast because I advocated for, you know, I've been called in to advocate for children after surgeries and they're in the hospital and mom and dad are freaking out and they don't know what to do. I did this as a favor to an advocate out of New Hampshire, Bill Murphy. He called me in to advocate. And folks, when I advocate for somebody who's in the hospital, the first thing that I do is ask everybody in the room. Now, if they're under 18, I ask mom or dad uh, or guardian to call into the charge nurse, right? Charge nurse comes into the room and I simply say, Uh, I've been called in to advocate for this child. Mom and dad or guardian, they are telling me that the child's pain is not being managed uh, and this is concerning. So that's step one. You have to verbalize to the charge nurse. You have to verbalize to the doctor, I'm in pain. Why is, how can we get my pain treated? Because sometimes these are small steps, but there's a process because we've been happy, you know, we're working with the hospital administrator about this issue. So now once that's going to happen, then you're going to ask the charge nurse to contact the hospitalist, but it's a step. Please call in the hospitalist. Now the charge nurse is going to come into the room and say, the hospitalist can't come to the room. You're going to ask again, I would like to see the hospitalist. Well, we're going to post in the show notes, how people can properly advocate. Yeah. For their loved one. Beth, thank you for taking time out of your day to be with us at the Doctor Patient Forum podcast. Don't forget, folks, if you like this episode, be sure to leave us a five-star review and to reach out to great advocates like Beth Stackler. We recorded this podcast a few months ago and Beth's daughter has spent a lot of time in the hospital since then being treated horribly. And she's actually in the hospital right now She went back into the emergency room and the doctor was caught talking about her to other doctors in front of patients that knew her. And so Beth demanded that she be transferred and 
they transferred her like eight hours away and she's getting excellent care. And as soon as they transferred her, they put her in the ICU because she was that sick. This hospital needs to be ashamed of themselves. They're disgusting. We have over on Patreon, we have behind the scenes and we have about a 45 minute recording, video recording with Beth and Claudia with an update. But I wanted to read this quick message from Beth about her daughter because right now she is in a hospital being treated like a human being with kindness and compassion. And so this is what Beth has to say. She sounds so different. Her blood sugar are all over the place and no accusations because they know. Her sugar dipped big time today and the team gets its hard and appreciates her knowledge. I mean, her voice is so different. It's strong and confident. I am so angry at Sanford and our damn state. Sanford gets away with so much. Everyone knows, but nothing is done. I am sure at this point, Sanford and state would pay to get me out. This week at public health conferences and tomorrow is a focus on opioids. I have my question prepared. My daughter's voice and her confidence just comes through the phone. I can stand back and be the support as I should. She should have opportunity to be in the driver's seat and because of abuse did not have that. Thanks for everything. You know, we shouldn't have to even say, oh my gosh, she's doing so much better emotionally or she sounds so much better because she's being treated like a person. But that's what it's come to because as many of you know, we're not even treated like human beings. We're treated sometimes worse than animals are are treated by a vet. And again, it's much more than just about opioids. This is not just about opioids. This is about being gaslit in the medical community being treated like criminals and talked to and mocked and that it's accepted and I will never stop fighting. I'd like to end this podcast with a voicemail that we received from a dad about his five-year-old son. I want you to listen to how they allowed this boy to be tortured because Beth's children and her experiences are becoming common in this healthcare system. And if you can't find it in you to fight for adults, please help us fight so these children can stop being tortured. You don't have to call me back, but I wanted to share with you the story of my five-year-old son had a compound fracture at school back in November of 2021. It was so severe that he had to have surgery. He got a metal plate installed in his arm, and they put the cast on him. And he went through a, it was a long night for him, very traumatic for him. They discharged him with five milligrams of oxycodone liquid. And the surgeon told us, oh, he'll be fine with just Tylenol. You don't really have to use the oxycodone, only as needed. He can have one milligram per day. So five doses, one milligram per day for five days. Well, the cast was on too tight, and my baby was screaming, screaming in pain. He was unconsolable, and we could not get his pain under control. So at home, I called called the surgeon's office, called and called, and I made to feel like a crazy person because I'm asking, hey, can I, I'm going to have to give him another dose of oxycodone. Never could get an answer, and finally, me and my wife, you know, gave him basically a dose of oxycodone codone to control his pain. Well, it just dampened it. It didn't really help. We took him to his primary care thinking that they would be more sympathetic. They could see the cast was on too tight. His fingers were swelled up so big they looked like bananas. And they still, nope, we're not prescribing any pain medication. That's the surgeon's job. And they had us leave with that baby screaming and crying. 
to the surgeon and the primary care. I took him back to the surgeon in person for a follow-up, still wouldn't prescribe any pain medication. And you know what they said? This is on day four. So he's living off Tylenol now, screaming in pain daily. They said, oh, my God, his cast is too tight. Why didn't you tell anybody? And we had that for days. Anyways, it was very frustrating. There's more to the story. He ended up getting an infection, got admitted, and uh, it was absolutely traumatizing. But Just a quick disclaimer. The information contained in this podcast should not be considered medical or legal advice. Thank you once again for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying our podcast, Please follow us on Spotify, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and share with anyone that you think might benefit from this information.